When you think of Satan, the devil, what comes to mind? Perhaps you, you think that he is real, or perhaps you think he is fictitious. I come to you this morning to say he is very real. The Bible is very clear. Satan exists. The devil is real. If, if you survey the Bible, the name Satan is used 53 times throughout the Old and the New Testament. 53 times he is referenced and mentioned. In the New Testament, we have a new term that's introduced to us. It's devil, and it's used 34 times there. It's not a word that's in the Old Testament. So there, <clears throat> real quick, is 87 accounts of this person called Satan or the devil that's in the Bible. And when you consider him, you, you might want to think about his name. And I will tell you that the Bible is, is naming people very specifically and purposely. There's a meaning behind the names. Jesus Christ. Christ means the promised one. And Jesus means he will save us from our sins. So Jesus' name means what he does. He is the promised one who saves us from our sins. Well, there's meaning behind the name of Satan. And devil also. Satan means adversary, opponent, arch rival. Devil means accuser or slanderer. And so these are, these are real names for a real person, a real being that exists. And, and as we look through the New Testament and some of Jesus's speakings and teachings and some of Paul's writings, there's there's a whole litany of other names and titles given to Satan, to the devil. Here's a quick survey of these. It's in John chapter 8, Jesus calls him a murderer from the beginning. He also in that same verse calls him a liar and the father of lies. We then see that in John 12, he's the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says he's the God of this world. Paul also calls him the prince of the power of the air. Jesus calls him the evil one in the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 12, he's Beelzebul, the Lord of the flies. He's called the deceiver of the whole world in Revelation. In 2 Corinthians 11, we see that he is an angel who is, he is disguised. He is disguised as an angel of light, so he's deceptive. Revelation, he's called the accuser of the brethren. You and me, he's the accuser of us. He's the adversary, we'll see that in a moment, and he is also called the prince of demons. If you total these all together, the devil is named or referenced more than a hundred times in the Bible. I would submit to you this morning, as we talked about in Sunday school, that he just had to be named once in the Bible for us to believe that he's real. But over a hundred times, he is referenced. Jesus speaks of him often. I tell you this morning, he is real. I warn you this morning, he is real. The Bible uses imagery a lot, and we are, we are often taken to animal imagery in the Bible. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. So we get these animal analogies often. God knows that we relate well to this. Well, he uses animal analogies for Satan. At first, in Genesis chapter 3, he is a serpent. 
All the way at the end in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he's referred to as the ancient serpent. All the way back. So there's two bookends, Genesis and Revelation. This serpent, the devil, is referred to. And also in Revelation chapter 12, he's called a dragon. You ought to read Revelation 12, 1 through 5 or 6. And, and you'll see the gospel unfolded before you in those six verses. But you ought to see this dragon hovering over this woman that's giving birth to a child that he may snatch it. And this morning, we're going to see that he's referred to as a roaring lion. And that's where we are in First Peter chapter 5. As we wrap up our, our journey through this letter that Peter wrote to exiled Christians centuries ago. Last week we preached through the end of chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to leap over chapter 5 verses 1 through uh, 6 or so because I preached that weeks ago when we called Josh to join our staff. So we've been through that. If you missed that, I really urge you to go listen to that online. But this morning we will pick up in First Peter chapter 5 starting in verse 8 as we conclude this letter. And here's what Peter was inspired by God to write. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Let's pause right there. We're going to work through the rest, but let's pause and chew on that a little bit and digest it. Because there's much there. We need to understand first that Peter is calling you and me to, to attention. He's readying us and he's saying, I need you to sit on the edge of your chair because I have something very important to say. So I want you to be sober minded and I want you to be watchful. So this is what I'm about to say is very important to you, exile. We've heard this kind of language from Peter before. In 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. I think that's what he would say to you right now as he talks about this devil that's prowling around. He's saying, you and me, we are to prepare our minds for action for these next few minutes. There's a, there's a war that's being waged with a roaring lion. And we need to understand this war. Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So I hope I have your attention here. Because there is a dire warning that's coming our way with this passage. And I want you to take Peter's urging seriously. And I want you to lean in. I want you to lean in this morning. And let's see what we're doing, what we're dealing with. The truth is, you and me, we are hunted. We live in a world where we are hunted and we are pursued by an adversary that has nothing good in store for us. We see here, that this adversary here pursues us. He's, he's called the devil. And he prowls around. He lurks. He stalks. He, he broods. He calculates. He's not omniscient. He's not all powerful. 
He's not all-knowing, but he prowls around and he studies his subjects. He studies his targets. We're going to look at this in a moment. I'll show you evidence that he's studied you and me. He doesn't know all about us. Only God does. But we have a devil that is prowling around. We're hunted. It's true. He roars like a roaring lion. And this is imagery that Peter is using to show that when, when Satan administers persecution on us for our faith in Jesus Christ, that is his roar. He is striving to intimidate us and to beat us down and to destroy us in a very specific way. In Genesis 4-7, we, we see this imagery. Uh, God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you but you must rule over it. You see this. There's, there's a prowling lion. There is this temptation to sin that's crouching outside your door and it seeks to, to devour you. But you're to rule over it. So we have this prowling around, roaring lion who's persecuting and here's his goal. He is seeking to devour. He is seeking nothing short of devouring you and me. Now let me tell you, he does not want to devour our flesh. He is not interested in something temporary like our flesh. He just doesn't care about that. This lion wants to eat your faith. He wants to devour faith. Profession in Jesus Christ. Dependence on God the Creator. Reliance upon the Holy Spirit. He wants to devour that so that you and I might renounce the faith. That's what he wants to devour. And that's what he's prowling around like. And he's roaring persecution at us to get us to deny the faith. It's very real. So Satan roars at teenagers. You, you make a profession in Jesus Christ and you profess to follow in his commands. This prowling lion teenagers will roar at you with persecution. Right now, this next week at school, ten years from now when you're grown up in the business world or whatever you're doing, you, you're not exempt from this. You're in the midst of a world with a prowling lion that's wanting to devour your faith, your profession in Jesus Christ. Stand firm, be sober-minded, and be watchful. Resist him firm in your faith. We're going to talk about how to do that in a moment. You go to the business world and you're doing business transactions. You are going to be enticed to forsake biblical measures for doing business. And you're going to be persecuted by it for that. You're going to be persecuted. And that persecution is coming from this roaring lion that wants to devour your faith. And he wants to beat you down so that you'll quit practicing biblical Christianity in the workplace. I dare say this prowling lion would love to devour me, one of your pastors. He would love for me to quit preaching this Bible. He would love for me to, to revert over and preach human logic and happy feel-good stories instead of working through the scriptures that speak against him. You need to pray for me. That I would forever stand firm proclaiming the faith 
to us. And that I would never be devoured. So this is real. This applies to everyone in the room. And I think, I think I've got your attention. Because I think you're going, yeah, I I think I see this. There was a time where I felt like I had a, a lion bearing down on me. Well, you did. And you will. And this will be something we contend with until Christ comes again or he calls us home. I want to tell you, the reality of of the Christian life is this. All of God's people are pursued by this lion. And they have been from the very, very beginning. I want you to turn over with me to the very first book in the Bible, the third chapter of Genesis, verse 1. And I want to show you this prowling lion at work in the very beginning with the first two human beings that ever existed. So in Genesis 3... Starting in verse 1, we read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That craftiness is prowling language. He prowls in crafty, slippery ways. He slithers like a snake, literally. And he's a serpent in this story. And, and how does he roar? He roars persecution, right? How does he roar? Well, Jesus said he's the father of lies. And so what he, what he roars is right over here in uh, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. This is a direct contradiction to what Jesus said in chapter 2. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Translation, disobey me. And you will die. Satan right here says, you will not surely die. So here's his roaring. He's calling God a liar. And he's enticing because he wants to devour man and woman, God's creation. And so then we see the, the devouring. If you look down in, in later on in chapter 3, verse 19, God pronouncing a curse on man by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken and for you are dust and to dust. You shall return Satan devoured for the moment, Adam and Eve, because they had to experience death and you and I to this day experience death. Now, it's not an ultimate devouring, but physically speaking, Satan's a murderer because he lied and enticed man to disobey God. And therefore, man had to return to dust from where he came. This was all from a, from a crafty serpent that was prowling around in the garden, seeking a man and a woman to devour. Look to Job. Turn about the middle of your Bible. Right before the book of Psalms is Job. I want you to look at chapter 1. It's just a vivid Vivid scenario here where we see Satan pursuing God's people. We know in the first part of chapter 1 that there was not a more righteous and upright man in all the earth than this man named Job. He's a solid follower of God. And in verse 6 of Job chapter 1, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves to the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered to the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. You hear the prowling? 
prowling on the earth. He wants to devour. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And then here comes Satan's roar. Listen to him roar accusations. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. And here it is. Here's the roar, the persecution. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will curse you to your face. Satan wants to devour Job by getting Job to the point of cursing God. Do you see how Satan wants to devour Job's faith? By getting him to say, curse you God for ever making me. He's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking Job, a righteous man, to devour. We've got one more. Luke chapter 22. Boy, this fits. I'm going to tell you this morning that Peter wrote from first-hand personal experience. Peter himself has had this roaring lion bearing down on him, seeking to devour him. And here's what we read, Luke 22, starting in verse 31. Jesus is about to foretell Peter's three-time denial of him. It's right after the Last Supper. Before Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. There's the prowl. He's apparently gone before God, Jesus, and said, I want him. Give me, give me Peter, just like he did with Job. So there's an apparent prowling that's happening here. Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. He wants to devour him. He wants to sift him like wheat. And I love what Jesus says. This but is a big word here. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Satan wants to devour Peter's faith. And Jesus says, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail, that it would not be devoured. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So there we did. We just did a quick biblical survey from Genesis to Job to the New Testament Gospel of Luke to show evidence that throughout human history, Satan has been a prowling lion who is seeking to devour God's people and their faith in him. Biblically true. And this morning, I'm going to tell you that the same lion that pursued Eve and Adam and Job and Peter is pursuing you and me. He has not stopped. It's not stopped. This is real. This is current. This is modern. This is, the Bible is modern on this issue, on all issues, but especially here, it's a modern issue that we are pursued by a real live adversary. And so I want you to read 1 Peter 5, 8 personally and applicationally. Because it says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Okay, you need to you need to memorize that. You need to be able to recite that. And then here's how we read it personally, because it says seeking someone to devour. Well, it would not be uh, uh, wrong to take the Bible and do this. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking a husband to devour. That's someone. Seeking a wife to devour. You could put those together and you could say, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking a marriage to devour. He hates marriage because marriage is a gospel presentation. He would love nothing more than to devour the Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 picture of marriage. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking a father to devour. If he can take out a father, he can wreck a family seeking a mother to devour. Think about the impact on a family if he took a mother out of the faith profession that she had in Jesus Christ. He seeks a teenager to devour. Children can affect families for the gospel in profound ways, positive and negative, and Satan would love to strike a mom and a dad and get them to renounce their faith by getting a teenager to walk away from the faith. We are hunted. We are so hunted. How about this one? How about this one? I'm going to give you the benefit of personal study this week on this. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking a pastor to devour. If he can devour me, he will impact you. He will impact my family, my church. The name of our church in the community, the, the, the devil is seeking to devour guys like me. I plead for you to pray for me. I take that serious. So I run to the word often so that I might not be devoured. Get ahead of myself a little bit. We'll be there in just one moment. So what are we to do? I, I, I've established here the reality that there's someone pursuing us, hunting us down and wants to snuff us out and take our faith and throw it away because that's an eternal impact that he has on God's glory. And he's against God. We're caught in between in the crossfire made in his image. So what are we to do about this roaring adversary that wants to destroy us? There's, there's three things. There's two things that we need to know. And there's one thing that Peter gives us instruction on and what we are to do. And the two things that we need to know, first of all, are this. I want you to know for certain that this lion has been defeated. I've set the table here. It's a little bit intimidating. We've got a lion that wants to devour us, but he has been defeated. So we fight a defeated foe. He pursued Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm going to tell you, he pursued Jesus Christ all the way back in the Old Testament. He wanted to snuff out the Israelites. He wanted to snuff out Moses. He wanted to snuff out David and on and on and on through Saul. He has tried to snuff out the offspring of the woman, Genesis 3.15, from day one. He tried to kill Jesus at birth with Herod's decree. He tried to destroy Jesus' faith with the temptation in the wilderness. Three times he tempted him. And he tried. Oh, he tried to defeat Jesus Christ on the cross. And he thought he had won. But he lost. Because Jesus Christ, yes, died 
And that was the most evil act Satan has ever brought about. But he rose on the third day, defeating sin and death and the work of Satan forever. For those who believe in that. For those who believe in that. You don't believe in a death, a burial, and a resurrection. You are not protected from this roaring lion. So we have a defeated lion. He was defeated by a lamb. (laughs) The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world defeated this roaring lion that seeks to devour. Jesus is also the lion of Judah. He's defeated. We need to know that. But second thing we need to know is that this lion is still dangerous. Still very lethally dangerous. Defeated, but dangerous. Mortally wounded. And in Christ, we will be victorious over him. But if we're apart from Christ, we will be devoured. We will be devoured. So the two things we must know, this lion is defeated, this lion is still dangerous. And the one thing that we must do, Peter tells us, resist him firm in your faith. So we use faith to resist him. And I want to be careful here because we are not to go toe-to-toe with the devil. I'm not one that speaks to the devil. I do not recommend it. Jesus Christ did the hand-to-hand combat with the devil and defeated him. Devil, Satan, is defeated in Christ and Christ alone. I can't punch him. I go to Christ for my protection from this roaring lion. Our battle cannot be one of Herculean acts where we speak to Satan and just do... No, we run to Christ and say, Christ, you defeated him. Keep me safe from him. That's how we resist him. That's how we remain firm in our faith. So our battle with Satan must go through the victorious Jesus Christ. Or we will be devoured. We will be sifted like wheat. Peter was told by Jesus that Satan demanded to sift you like wheat. And then Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. So Peter does not make it without a praying Christ. We don't make it against this roaring lion without going through Christ. I want to get that point home very clearly. So now, how in the world do we do this? How do we resist him firm in the faith? What, pastor, are we to do? Give me something tangible that I can walk out of here and say, I've got to do this to fulfill that call to resist. It's real simple. And I want everybody in this room to take notes now. I want you to write down, I've just got five little three-word phrases, okay? I want you to have this written down on something, and I want you to revisit this. Please, please revisit this. This is how you're going to be sober-minded and watchful. There's five steps that we must take to resist the devil in this day that we live in. The first one is this. We must read the Word. Read the Word. Read the Word. This is where we get firm in our faith and we retain that firmness. Second thing, memorize the Word. 
Read the word? Yes. But there's a familiarity that comes there. Now I want you to internalize. Memorize the word. Get it inside of you. Have it running through your blood veins. Make it become part of your DNA. Third, meditate the word. Read it. Memorize it. And then when you've memorized it, you meditate on it day and night. And you apply it in your meditation. You apply it to your life. And it becomes very, very alive to you. I promise you. Scripture memory makes the Bible just leap out in vivid ways into your life. Here's the fourth one. Pray the word. You cannot go wrong praying to God what God inspired to you. It is a fail-proof method of prayer. Pray Scripture back to the author of Scripture, and He will answer. He will not deny you praying what He wrote to you. He won't. He will fulfill what you pray. And here's the last one. You ready for this one? (laughs) Do the Word. Or obey, if you want to use that word. So we read this book, yes, we turn the pages often, but then we camp out somewhere and we memorize blocks of Scripture, and then through memory we meditate on it day and night, and in our meditations we understand where we're vulnerable and where we're weak and where we're struggling, and we pray, Lord, would you help me to overcome this? And then then out of faith and reverence for God, we do it, we do it. Do it. We have to engage in living out our faith with fear and trembling because it's God who's at work in us. So let me let me make this real to you now. Let's let's get real applicational here. Okay? I want you to consider an an area in your life that you commonly are facing temptation. Where where you feel like, okay, that's the, the devil trying to sift me like wheat. That's the devil roaring at me, prowling around trying to devour me on that issue. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's anger, unforgiveness, lust, covetousness, or, or greed, gossip. I don't, I don't know what struggle you constantly find yourself in. I'm going to tell you that's probably where he's prowling. And that's where he would love nothing more than to devour you. Let me tell you, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, and he's not omnipresent. But he does study his subjects because I think in Job chapter 1 we see evidence that Satan had studied Job. And he knew that if you strike all that he has, God, he'll curse you to your face. Get him right there, God. And I think that this devil knows about us and knows our weaknesses and and our anxieties and our pride. And he says, I'm going to go after him right there. I'm going to get after him on sex. I'm going to get after her on materialism. I want her to store up treasures on earth instead of heaven. So I'm going to go after her there. He's prideful, so I'm going to entice him to lie, to boast falsely about who he is. Where you find yourself engaging in battles, that that is evidence that the prowling lion is trying to devour you right there. And so here's what I want you to do. I I want you to read scriptures that deal with anger or lust or covetousness or lying or gossip or anxiety. 
I want you to read passages about that. And then I want you to memorize. Hey, we could just go Sermon on the Mount here, right? Okay? In, in, in Matthew 5, he speaks about anger in 21 through 26. Memorize 21 through 26 and fight against anger with that scripture. And meditate on it and pray it and do it. Lust, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Unforgiveness, right at the end of the Lord's Prayer. For if you will not forgive others who sin against you, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Anxiety, Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. Memorize these passages where you find yourself engaged in battle with this adversary. Memorize them and meditate on them and pray them to God and then do them in the strength of God. You say, well, <laughs> Pastor, my problem is I don't even, I, I'm, I'm bored with this Bible. I, I don't want to go read this Bible. I don't want to memorize this Bible. And if I can't do that, then I can't meditate on it. I can't pray it and, and I really can't do it because I don't know it. I, I'm not even wanting to get into the Bible. Well, that's where Satan's wanting to devour you. He doesn't want you in God's Word. So how about uh, Psalm 19, 7 through 11? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Memorize verses like that. Meditate on them. There's six things that, six things that God says about the Bible, the word, the, the, the rules. There's six things. And then he says, man, we're to desire them more than gold and honey and we're to be warned by them. What are we warned of? There's a prowling lion seeking to devour us. But there's a reward. Eternal life. Through never forsaking our faith in Christ. So I urge you to understand that we're hunted. And we are to resist this one that hunts us. And he's real. And the way we do it is with this. There's no, other, there's no other tool to use. This is the sword of the Spirit for a reason. This is what we wield battle and engage in battle with. Because this is Christ. So we are to resist Him firm in the faith. And we're to do so in the strength of knowing two additional truths. And it's right there in verse 9. Resist him firm in the faith. Number one, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
Now, let's just be honest. As, as people, we have comfort in crowds, don't we? It's a little scary to go totally alone on something and step out there. And Peter tells us here, you're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, there is a great cloud of witnesses that you will stand with one day. If you're a Christian in this room, I want you to look next door to you. You're not alone because we're all subject to persecution and we're all being hunted by this prowling lion. You could look through all of human history and everybody in the past. You're with Job. I'm with Job. We're with Adam and Eve and this crafty serpent in the garden. We're not alone. We're not alone present. We're not alone in the future. Until Christ comes again, there will be persecution of the saints. It's real. It will be there. You're not alone. So, great. I'm not alone. What does this do for me? Well, I want you to know, first of all, persecution for our faith in Christ, that's part of our DNA. When we become Christians, we get a new life, a new heart, and I think we get some new DNA. And our DNA calls for us to be persecuted, right? Paul wrote to Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's fact. It's what we are now as Christians. You need to understand that. I, I want you to be Ready for persecution. That's why I'm preaching this. I wish it weren't so. I wish we could be, be on a happier topic. But we live in an age, and everybody has lived in an age, where we're hunted. And I feel like, and Peter was inspired by God, to get us ready to stand against this hunter. So we're not alone. It's, it's a family thing in the family of God. It's part of our DNA. And here's what we should do. If we're not alone, and there's many brethren in the world that are enduring this, we should pray for them. And they should pray for us. And through all that prayer, God will continue to keep us safe from the adversary. So there's one truth that you need to know, or one of four. The second one is... This suffering, here's some good news, but we've got to get it in perspective. This suffering is for a little while. This suffering, this persecution, this being hunted, it is a short-term deal. Now, define short-term, right? Because <laughs> it seems like eternity to us. But we need to understand from the Scriptures that we just live for a little brief blip in the span of all of eternity. So we have to have an eternal perspective on our souls. The minute we live in the temporary here and now, the adversary's got us. We have got to lift out and be strong Christians who look at life present and eternal. Temporary and eternal. And so Peter has already said this earlier in chapter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. A little while. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction. Light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see it? We've got to have an eternal perspective. 
as we endure the persecutions of the roaring lion. Number three, we are to know that God will prevail in our lives. He will prevail. Peter says it right here. The God of all grace, still in verse 10, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's good news. Stay the course. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that God will establish you forever in his son, Jesus Christ. Christ is the center of all of this. So you and I, if we profess authentic faith in Christ, we are God's forever. And we have verses like John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It's amazing. We cannot be devoured by this prowling lion because we're in God the Father's hand. God the Son's hand. They are one. Can't happen to us. Eternity is spoken for for us if we believe in Jesus Christ. It's spoken for. It's very interesting right after that when Jesus is talking about that in, in, in John 10. In verse 31, right after Jesus says, I and the Father are one and no one's able to snatch you out of our hands. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. The prowling lion is wanting to devour even Jesus' testimony there. And talking like that will get you in trouble. So we need to know that God will prevail in our lives. And we need to have an eternal perspective when we look at that truth. He will prevail, yes, today. Right? To live as Christ, but to die as gain. If, if we're killed for our faith in Christ, Paul says we've gained greatly. We have to see it like that. Here's the fourth one. We need to know for certain that God is sovereign. Look at verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Dominion. God has dominion over this roaring lion. In fact, we see it in Job's story, don't we? Don't we see it clearly? God says, okay, I'll let you strike all that he has, but you cannot touch his flesh. Satan's on a leash. And we know the story, he devours everything that Job owned. Everything down but, but a wife. Property, livestock, children, gone. And Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So then Satan comes back and says, okay, but if you let me take his, if you let me strike his flesh, he'll curse you. God says, I'll let you do that, but you can't take his life. God has dominion over this lion he's not working on his own without he's not sovereign in and of himself and i've already said he's not omnipotent omniscient or omnipresent but he is a dangerous person who's on a leash that god controls so that leads me to a huge question 
To, to whom do we attribute our suffering and our persecution? Christian, when you're persecuted for your faith in Christ, Peter's already told us, not for being an evildoer, right? That's not being persecuted for Christ. When we are persecuted for the name of Christ, who do we attribute our suffering to? Because if we spend a little time looking at what Peter has written, we we could get a little bit confused here. In, In chapter 4, verse 19, look right up there. Peter writes, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Wow. Entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. So suffering is attributed to the will of God in that verse. And yet here we have a prowling lion that is going around seeking to devour. So who do we attribute our suffering to? An adversary who's under the dominion. Of God. An adversary, yes, who is under the dominion and rule and sovereignty of God Himself. God brings about suffering and persecution in the life of a Christian to prepare us for the eternal weight of glory. To 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 enable us to stand firm and resist. So that God is glorified by faithful followers, faithful children. And so we can never be so despairing. Wouldn't it not be despairing if we thought that Satan was unleashed in this world and could do whatever he wanted with us? That would be no place to live. That would be a horrifying existence. We have to, through all of our persecution, understand that God is allowing, just like he did in Job's life, a certain degree of persecution and suffering for a greater reward. It's biblical. It's all over the place in this book. So now we go to verse 12, and we're just going to land this plane pretty quick here. This is our last sermon in 1 Peter. And Peter has some final greetings that he walks us through, and I just want to lift out one aspect of this. In verse 12, let's just read 12 through 14. By Silvanus, which is Silas. You know Silas from the book of Acts. By Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. There's much to be said there, but I want to lift out just parts of verse 12. Peter claims that this entire letter is inspired by God. Look at it. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. He attributes everything that he has written to the grace of God. Not his own logic, not his own experiences, The grace of God is behind this. This this points us to something Peter writes in his second letter to us. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What Peter has said to us this morning is from God, the Holy Spirit. 
what Peter has said to us throughout this entire letter for these last 25 weeks has been from God. Yes, we've been in Peter for 25 weeks. I hope it didn't feel like that. Don't answer. Here's what I say to you. Here's what I say to you. To the degree that I have remained faithful to what Peter was inspired to write. To the degree that I've been faithful to that. I say to you. This is the true grace of God. Stand with me firm in it. Please. I need you and you need me to stand firm here so that together we can resist him and remain firm in the faith. And that's what church is for. Among other things, and we're to, we're to draw others in to join us in this family, but at the end of the day, we gather together until the day when Christ comes again to enable one another to stand firm in the faith, resisting the devil to the praise and the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it, please. Let's pray. Father, you have washed us for some 25 weeks with this intense letter. The book of 1 Peter is intense, Lord, because it meets us right where we are in a hostile world that rails against our Savior, Jesus Christ. Something new. This started in Genesis chapter 3. And it's going all along through all the centuries. And it is alive and well today. Father, we are informed this morning that there is a real adversary. His name is Satan. He is the devil, the accuser, the slanderer. And I pray that you would deliver us from him. That you'd lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from him. And that you would enable us to encourage one another to stand strong and firm, resisting him by reading your word, memorizing your word, meditating on your word, praying your word, and doing your word in the strength of Christ. Father, make us be a people that's about those five things. And all these other things will be added unto us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.